0: Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to La Jolla Community Church. My name is Lynn Allen Byros, and uh, it is my honor and my joy to um, invite you to uh, read scripture with me this morning. We're going to be reading out loud um, Psalm 145, verses 1 to 13. So, please join me. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does
1: good morning please stand as we enter into worship together today we are going to be introducing a new song we'd like to go ahead and take a moment and teach the chorus to you so that you'll know that Uh, heads up that there's other parts of the song might be a little harder to follow so when we get to those just let the words watch over you and just stay engaged in worship but for now jan is going to demonstrate the chorus for us
2: Make us one, make us one, you will be done, make us one,
1: now let's all try that together.
2: Make Make us one, one. Make
1: make us one. Your will be done, make us
2: one.
1: All right, that'll be coming later on. Right now, No Longer Slaves.
2: The drowned in perfect love.
1: Please stay standing and greet those around you.
3: Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. I am Nicole Pearson, I'm a member here and a former Board of Trustee member. And if you're new with us today, I want to extend a special welcome and our desire is that you would feel like this is home, like this is your family. And in, we want to walk alongside of you and help you grow in your faith. And one way we do that is through prayer. So just to draw your attention to the Connect card, this is a place where you can let us know you're here, let us know you're new, and give us your email address so we can get you updated on the life of the church. But then also, if there's something on your heart, please go ahead, write that on the prayer request card and put that in the offering basket. And you will have people praying for you this week. So I want to just draw your attention to some announcements coming up for the week. We have our monthly women's group that's going to be restarting September. This is a a once-a-month group for working women. So if you feel like you could use some encouragement, you could use some conversation and fellowship and prayer with like-minded women, then this is the group for you. So September 3rd starts at 6.30, and we go till about 7.30 or 8. There's a meal provided, which is fantastic, so you can come right from work if you need to. And we have great themed discussion, prayer, and fellowship. And there's no homework, so it's very um, easy to be a part of, and again, it's once a month. So you can RSVP for that. We'd love to have you join us. And then also... If you are looking for a place to roll up your sleeves and put your faith into action, I invite you to participate next Saturday, August 24th, at the Faith Build. So this is an amazing and fun collaboration that we have with our friends at Habitat for Humanity and Thrivent, where we are going to be taking a group of about 15 people out to El Cajon to actually build a home for a homeowner. So this is a great opportunity to really take God's command to love our neighbor and go out there and do it. And I can tell you, it is so fun to be out there swinging a hammer and working shoulder to shoulder with people in your church you don't have to have experience don't need to be a carpenter but you do need to be 16 so if this is something that is interesting to you grab me or john wilson we would be happy to tell you more about it it's a full day from about 8:30 to 3:30, but i promise you it will be well worth your time so hope you can make it we'll bring up lynn
0: Will you please pray with me? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful to be in your presence here in your house on this beautiful summer morning that only you could create. Let us take a moment to quiet our minds and hearts and acknowledge with reverence and awe that we are in the presence of God Almighty. You are the one and only true God, our Father, creator of heaven and earth, sovereign over all. You are the embodiment of love, joy, grace, generosity, mercy, kindness, patience, and faithfulness. You alone are worthy of our praise, and we humbly bless your holy and righteous name. In this chaotic world where fear seems to reign, help us to remember to whom we belong. We are yours, and nothing will ever change that truth. No matter what, you are leading us in triumphal procession, even when we can't see it, keeping a loving and watchful eye over us never slumbering or sleeping. Psalm 63.7 says, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. May we work in partnership with you, trusting in you more than our own abilities. Thank you for your amazing power and work in our lives. Thank you for your goodness and for your blessings over us. Thank you that you are able to bring hope through even the toughest of times, Strengthening us for your purposes. Thank you for your great love and care. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your incredible sacrifice so that we might have freedom in life. Forgive us for when we don't thank you enough for who you are, for all that you do, for all that you've given. Help us to set our eyes and our hearts on you afresh. Renew our spirits Fill us with your peace and joy. Father, thank you for looking beyond our faults and for loving us unconditionally. Forgive us when we fail to love others in the same way. Give us eyes to see the needs of the difficult people in our lives, and show us how to meet those needs in a way that pleases you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sin Please help us to keep our eyes focused on him and not the world. Thank you for your word that is a useful guide to help keep us on the path you have designed for us. It holds the answers to help us maneuver through this broken world, and we are grateful. Give us leaders with discerning hearts, bold faith, and wise minds that model your character. Teach them and us not just what is good but what is best, Guide them in the way our country should go. Give them purity in their intentions and godliness in their convictions. Energize their spirits and bodies physically and spiritually and keep them emotionally secure in the knowledge of who you are and whose they are. Finally, Lord, help us not to lean on our own understanding, but in everything, acknowledge you so that you can direct our words, thoughts, and actions this coming week. Grant us wisdom to make decisions big and small, and conviction to follow you when it contradicts our desires or the demands of others. Give us discernment and surround us with wise people who follow you and can speak into our lives. We love you and we need you this day and every day. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.
4: Lynn, thank you. Well, I hope you're having a good summer, and uh, for those of you who have started back to school, I agree, it is cruel and unusual punishment to make anybody start school in the middle of August, so we're with you. We are are with you in your pain, and the good news is you'll probably get out of school in May, and everybody else will be in school in June, so Um, for the rest of you, I hope you've had a good summer or having a good summer. I hope everybody comes for this um, family barbecue, uh, family uh, picnic we're going to do at the end of the month. It's going to be really fun. Well, I want to read a psalm. We're uh, at the tail end of this summer series on wisdom and bite-sized pieces. And uh, we, we have a lot, there's a lot of wisdom that we all need, and we thought we should break it down to bite-sized pieces so we can every week uh, process some of it. And so today we're talking about wisdom in families. Uh, and as you hear that phrase, wisdom in families, uh, do you think there might be any, any need at all for families to have more wisdom? Okay, then we're all on the same page. that There might be something here for families. And uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about all the great things you can do to be a great family, because uh, there are so many of those resources available to you, 1,001 uh, venues where you can get all kinds of uh, great ideas about improving your family life. I want to talk to you about the most basic stuff, without which all those other great ideas aren't going to really take you the distance. So I'm going to go back to the really the core stuff. of What does it it require for a family to have a, a, a foundation uh, built on God's wisdom. And that's where we're going to go today. So I want to start by reading uh, the psalm that uh, Lynn read at the beginning of the service. And I'm asking you the question, does this describe you? Can you see yourself in this psalm? And by the way, <clears throat> if you're not reading the read, think, pray that we send out every week, you should start reading that. It's, it's a weekly email. We send two weekly emails, one a um, kind of a midweek informational me- email about what's happening in the church. But then close to the end of the week, we always send this read, think, pray that sets you up what we're going to talk about on Sunday. It's not a mini version of it. It's just some some scripture and some ideas that get your creative juices flowing. Uh, And so uh, if you did the read, think, pray, you would have had a chance to maybe think about this already. But uh, Psalm 145, 1 to 13. And so listen to this with the idea that does this describe me or how well does this describe me? I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name Forever and ever. Uh, the words exalt, the words extol, both are big words in terms of our attitude toward God. One means we, we uh, drop to our knees and we say, Lord, I, you know, I humble myself before you. The other one says, Your name I want to proclaim, uh, declare among the nations. So, a uh, big opening here about this person's commitment to making God known and, and reveling in the fact that this is one awesome God. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Uh, I think uh, if you spent like two seconds with me, you could fathom my greatness. You'd say, that was pretty easy. Next. But when you talk about God and fathoming his greatness, it goes on and on and on and on. If you've ever spent any time uh, in the Grand Canyon, uh, whether it's in a place like Havasupai, just a little side canyon, or in the main part of the canyon, uh, walking down one of those trails, or even standing on the rim. It's amazing how, how much time it takes to take it in, right? You're looking at it, but you're really not seeing the whole thing. You just have to keep looking at it, and then you keep saying, oh my gosh, it's so big. And then if you start to hike, it's bigger, and it's more interesting, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can't begin to fathom how big it is, uh, and that's like the greatness of God. Uh, when we don't know God, uh, it's super thin and irrelevant. Why would I care? What's there to explore there? But as, as you know from walking with God, as you get to know him, you're drawn in and in, and you think it just gets better and better and better. Even d- during the hard times, you're more aware than ever of, how the, of the awesomeness of God. And it's not anti-intellectual. It's not anti-rational. It's something bigger than our normal rationality, bigger than our intellect can even handle. It's sort of like that early morning in Yosemite experience. When you're either looking at the sun coming up um, on Glacier Point from the valley or you're looking at one of the the great uh, waterfalls, it's just breathtaking. It's stunning. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. One generation commends your works to another. I love that picture. Of A grandfather talking to a grandchild, grandmother talking to a grandchild, a parent talking to a child, an aunt or an uncle saying, well, oh, you probably don't know this story. You probably don't remember, but one time when you were little, have you ever had that experience? Or if you want to check out, is this a memory or is this an invented memory? You call a member of your family who was, who's been around a long time. You say, did this actually happen or did I think that happened? And you get so much interesting perspective. Uh, I mean, even at this point in my life, I'll talk to relatives who will fill me in on things that I thought, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. Uh, And had they told me when I was a little kid, I would have not had a category for it. But now I'm thinking, that is super significant. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds, uh, they celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all he has compassion on, all, uh, to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works will praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom." Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. There's no end to this kingdom. There's no shelf life, no expiration date. Oh, you should have seen the kingdom of God. It was here, but it's gone. It was just a pop-up. But if it comes back, I hope you get to see it. No, he says, your dominion endures through all generations. Uh, I find that to be a fascinating phrase. Your dominion endures through all generations. <clears throat> there are things that, are, that, that you perhaps have experienced growing up that don't exist anymore. And you, there's a sense in which uh, your your cohort in the culture would say, ah, oh, man, too bad kids don't get to see that or experience that. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, there was no such thing as a play date. <clears throat> you know, uh, you just basically ate breakfast and you came back for dinner. <laughs> and, and, and the kidnappers could have had you in China or, or India or... Or worse yet, you know, Arizona in the summertime. They, they could have had you far, far away by the time anybody figured out you were gone, right? You know, or that you'd, you'd uh, gotten into mischief. Um, so this idea of just this unfettered freedom that a kid would have is something we don't have anymore. You, you don't dare have that. If, in fact, if a kid was out wandering around all day and somebody stopped and said, kid, where are you? I'm trying to figure out how to get back to my house. Oh my gosh, they'd call in Child Protective Services. You know, why would you let these kids, you know, um, uh, explore? Uh, some of you know Dick Chapel. Uh <clears throat> Dick and I were talking and discovered the fact that we both, uh, as kids, lived in Tucson, Arizona. He grew up there. I moved from England, of all places, to Tucson, Arizona. And we were talking about in Tucson, Arizona of our youth. I mean, kids just pretty much had, it was like between here and California. You know, you just, just went out in the desert and you just did stuff. Uh, and we're laughing about the fact that, you know, oh my gosh, what a, what a, a, a bygone era of the idea of exploring for kids. There's, there's natural wonders that are being diminished. The big thing right now is over-tourism. Have you noticed this? The article's on over-tourism. All, the, all of your favorite places, too many people are going. So now, now countries and cities and, and natural features around the world are trying to figure out how to keep people out. Think, oh my gosh, no access to certain places. You just can't show up. No, you need an appointment. And you have a little time limit how long you can go to certain places. But the dominion of God endures forever. There's no end to it. Uh, I was, I'll give you a, a, one example of this generationally. Um, uh, I was talking to, uh, talking to, to two people, uh, both men, uh, both uh, uh, older guys, and one is a famous, world-known, world-renowned arts uh, authority. And the other one is a world-famous director, producer, actor. And they, so they know, they know a zillion people. A zillion people know them. Well, as we're talking, um, the one guy, I think, you know, trying to kind of needle his friend, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, in, I'm in, in an odd situation now. He says, oh, by the way, Steve's a pastor. And, the, and, and, and this guy was the kind of guy he thought would go, oh, dude, really, don't hurt me. Uh, because he was like his Hollywood bad boy. And the guy goes, oh, really? My grandfather was a Methodist circuit rider, which means he would get on a horse and ride from town to town and do sermons, talk to people about Jesus. And, and we're in the context of this really fancy, famous um, museum, art museum. And, and all the minions dressed in black running around working on, on stuff stop. And they look at this guy, and they think, there's no way this guy is related to a minister. It was just like this funny kind of frozen moment, and, and I'm just laughing, and I turned to the guy who, who's kind of put him, he thought he was putting his friend on the spot. I said, hey, and did you know that his grandfather became a believer, a follower of Jesus in the 1905 Welsh revival? And now was going, how did that happen? And I'm thinking, no, here's what I'm wondering, how did it happen? The 1905 Welsh revival uh, had such a massive impact worldwide, and and this man, uh, whose grandfather became a follower of Jesus, became a pastor. <clears throat> and 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 was a just a go for it guy in Wales. He raised his family, and one of his sons became a famous theologian, and and worship expert, written volumes. He he served at a very very prestigious American university, and was a big deal guy, <clears throat> and. Uh, um, had a very checkered personal life and then now the son is a really great guy and very famous in his own field. But somehow along the line the dominion of God diminished and, and really had no bearing. And on this guy whose grandfather was a circuit rider his whole life about telling people about Jesus. And by the time he gets to the grandson, the grandson's whole life basically is a mock of that. He's an endlessly entertaining, funny and, and creative person. But his life is about turning that on its head. And so the irony, though, is we're having a conversation um, about Jesus in this setting. And it was just saying, well, what was that like for you, knowing your grandfather? So I didn't have to say anything. And they just talked about what awesome men they were. I said, oh, that's awesome. Great. That's just a great family legacy. That's fantastic. I'm glad you had that influence. But when I look at this, I think the dominion of God endures forever, but what happens through all generations impacts how people experience the dominion of God. You couldn't have two more celebrated, successful people who know everybody. What could only be better with these two people in their unique places of privilege to influence many people culturally, and these people are major cultural influencers, if they, if they not led with their faith, but if they just were known for the person they are because of their faith, think about the power of that. Because they do such creative things, such compelling things. I just saw an actor, he just had a thing in the newspaper yesterday, a famous actor died and the big movie they attributed to him was directed by this one guy. And I'm like, this guy is known as a cultural observer, cultural commentator, so is this person. They have nothing to offer the culture in terms of the dominion of God. So this is the tragic thing I'm talking about today, that the wisdom in families is somehow experiencing Christ together in a way that doesn't make us more religious, but it makes us more alive. And more articulate to talk about the fact that I am so free to swing for the fences in life and to go for it. Why? Because there's a God who loves me unconditionally, whose grace is sufficient for everything I face, and who frees me up to be the person I was created to be. I'm unfettered and free. These guys are unfettered and free in a way that has has sort of obscured the dominion of God. Wouldn't it be great though if 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 generation to generation, people were lifted up to say, hey, your burden isn't living up to our expectations. Your joy is getting to thrive and flourish in the living God, with your family cheering you on wherever that might take you. Do you resonate with that at all? If you get nothing else out of what I say for the next six hours, that's the thing I want you to know. Um, <clears throat> see, if see, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does, will we be Will we be trustworthy and faithful is the question. The burden isn't on us to get it perfectly right as families. The simple responsibility we have is to respond to God in the context of our families. I'll, I'll say one more thing about that before we move on. As a, as a, as a newly minted husband, I, I was in this moment of frustration about something, and I don't think it was even Janet's fault. It was just I was just frustrated about something, and I was, I was just like, oh. and I was... I was trying to make it about her. And, you know, um, I was trying every angle. This must be about Janet bugging me somehow. And that lasted about two seconds when I realized, no, this is about me having no clue how to be a husband. I said, Lord, help me to be a husband. I mean, I can read books. I can talk to other guys. I help me by your spirit to be a husband. And then the same prayer came out of me when we had kids. But well, I have no idea how to do this. I mean, I get it conceptually, but the, the emotional and, and the resilience, right? So the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord wants you and me and all of us together to be trustworthy and faithful in living into what he will provide for us in families. Not to be perfect husbands, wives, parents, anything, but to be people alive to him in the middle of what we do. And that becomes a story that generationally will sustain future generations. That is the story that sustains generations. Because if the first generation makes money, the third generation will have squandered it. And you can take that analogy in so many ways. If the first generation was this, you know, this very poor person, and the third generation is now the genius of the world, that's interesting. But what's behind that story I want to hear these kinds of stories. Uh, yeah, I was rummaging around in some family stuff, and I found this letter. It was written by my grandmother, and it's her praying for her future grandkids. Did that have to give you goosebumps reading a letter like that? If you found it, oh my gosh, my grandmother was praying for me, or my great grandmother was, or my great grandfather wrote in his Bible, "I pray that future generations, Lord, I'd be faithful to pass on what you've given me to future generations." You know, I mean, it's that kind of a conversation. So this is the wisdom of families. How do we connect? are the heart of a family to the heart of God. Uh, if this describes what you believe and do, you are wise. And how does this next passage resonate with you? Uh, this is a classic biblical text about family formation from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy just means the second iteration of the law, Deutero 2, on, um, nomos means law. So this is a re- retelling of the law, and Moses is writing it. And this passage, famous passage, is simply called so one, one, one name passage, for the whole passage has a name, the Shema. Because here is, is Shema, imperative. Listen up, don't miss this. Shema Israel. Uh, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Not just one as in, we would say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One, like above all. Because he's the only one that matters. He's the one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, at the core of your being. <clears throat> impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. There's this intentional call to impress on children, not to oppress children, <clears throat> but to somehow inspire them and engage them and impress them in a way they go, I want to know more of that. Uh, <clears throat> we have a, a, a 18-month-old grandson. and He's getting so close to where I can really impress him. I'm not quite there yet. But I'm thinking in the next year, like two and a half, I'm going to be into serious impressing, pressing range. So I got a window about two and a half to four, because at four years and one second he's not going to be impressed anymore. And here's what I'm going to do: uh, whenever I think is the time is right, because I've only got a limited, you know, uh, quiver of impressive things to do. First of all, it's this, and he's going to go, whoa, 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 whoa! What happened to your finger? He's going to look at his little fingers and go. And, and, and I'm going to say, no. He's going to go, that's amazing. Now, his mother, who saw this when she was four, is going to go, uh, you know, and everybody else is going to be going, uh. But then he's on it. He's on, And I've got him. He's, I've got this. I've got him in, in, you know, right in my sights. I go, hey, if you like that, try this one. And I'm get a towel. I'm going to take a towel. I'm going to put it on the ground, like hold it like this so it's covering my feet. And I go like this. And he's going to go, what happened to your foot? It got disappearing. Some of you guys are going, oh, my gosh, I've got some new tricks. I've got some new things I'm going to be doing. I am going to so impress this kid, and then I'm going to kind of not have much to follow up with, except maybe I'll say, hey, by the way, you know something, that, that there is a God who made you just the way you are. He made you and loves you. And, and here's how I know. Because you are a kid so full of love, the only way I can explain it is that somebody must be really loving you. And so I'm going to be both impressing him on the fact that he has a mom and dad who loves him and there's a God who loves him. And and he's going to take that in, right? And it's not attached to, and therefore you should do this, or you should, you know, it's not attached to anything. It's, so this idea of impressing this on your children is that draw your children into the normative conversation that that explains your life together. It's not, now sit down here. Uh, we're going to do a family devotional. You're going, uh, they're going to do a devotional to me versus drawing me into a conversation. Talk about these things when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. <clears throat> not like this mindless har- harangue about God, but rather all these ways to say, oh my gosh, it reminds me of the way God, you know, I, you know doesn't that remind you of that Bible verse that, um, whatever it is. And so what happens is that your whole life is, is this whole conversation of life, but life from the perspective of God's presence in your life. And it's not a superstitious thing. Uh, I had a grandmother who was very superstitious. Uh, she could have written a song by Stevie Wonder. But, you know, she was um, super religious and super superstitious. And this isn't a, a slam on the Catholic church, but she went to, to, to mass every day and it made no difference. You know, um, she was just a mean lady. Um, and I can say this without fear because I'm not going to steer in heaven and have to face her again. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but my, my point in saying that, I forgot what my point was in saying it, but um, the idea was what, what you got from her had nothing to do with anything you were interested in. Whereas my grandfather, who was, the, the, this, was a humanist, the most loving humanist you'd want to know, and most interesting person, because why? He was just focusing. He just paid attention. You go, hey, what are you thinking? What are you guys doing at school? What? And you just want to be, with you. I want to be with him all the time. And my grandmother, it just felt like, it, it, was, it was like, oh my gosh, when, when you're done, you, I got out of prison early. I'll never do anything wrong because I don't want to do this for longer than, you know. The, and so it's not a slam on, on a person as much as it is to say that when a person is living a life that's authentic and caught up in the things of God, they might not even look religious, but as I started to really get to know my grandfather and started saying, hey, okay, so really, what do you believe? Where's God in that for you? Eventually, he, he, he coughed into to the fact that I do believe in God. I just don't believe in God the way your grandmother does. She's a wonderful woman. We've been married 2,000 years, and it's, you know, it's like... Um, But, you know, I've just seen how people game that and abuse that. So I don't lead with that. But I know that the only one I can thank for my life is God. He so impressed me, right? So this is what we're talking about. If this describes you and what you believe and do, you will make your family wise. If, 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 If what Moses is saying in the Shema, why? Because he's talking to the entire nation. But he knows that the nation is comprised of tribes. And those tribes are comprised of families. This is a family message to the entire nation of Israel. He's saying, if we can order our nation along these lines and have this kind of conversation, it's going to have a profound impact on families. And so uh, I hope that does describe you because you will make your family wise if you do that. Finally, here's a passage. I don't mean finally like I'm getting done with a the sermon. They don't get carried away. Just, But these three passages I wanted to use to frame this morning. How does this passage resonate with you? This is a, a Paul writing to some people in a place called Ephesus. It's a World Heritage site now, archaeological site in Turkey, but it was the most powerful city in the Roman Empire, even more than Rome. And so there's a burgeoning follower, uh, a community of Christ followers in Ephesus, and he's, t- he's, he's coaching them, instructing them on how to live out their faith in practical ways. And so he says, uh, <clears throat> he's talking about this relationship with Christ we have, and, and so he gets into this family section he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And, and by the way, this is our working definition of marriage. Uh, Jesus quoted this when asked about marriage. Uh, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. And, and Paul pauses in writing this to say, wow, this is an amazing mystery, the, the amazingness of what God has done in this. And he, and he says, this is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church, that this incredible relationship between a man and a woman the foundation for a family, for a community, is, is really similar to what Christ is doing in the church. So he, he, he pauses to make that point. But then he goes on to say, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He's already said a few verses previously, submit yourselves to one another out of your common reverence for Christ. And this passage, just as it relates to marriage, has been so taken out of context as a way of... of, of of um, demeaning women, and that's not the proper context of this passage. It's, submit to one another out of your common reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of your common reverence for Christ. And so he goes on to then say, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He quotes Exodus. <clears throat> honor your father and mother. Exodus and Deuteronomy both re- recap the, the um, Ten Commandments, and this is one of the commandments, honor your father and mo- mother. He says, which is the first commandment of the, in the list with a promise? because uh, it says, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. So this is what Paul is quoting to these people in Ephesus. Hey, honor your mom and dad, because if they're doing what they're supposed to do, it's going to set you up for a great life. Finally, he gets to this one, which I'm struggling with. I don't quite get this one. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And you can see from the smile on my face uh, where this is going. Um, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And if this describes what you believe and do, you are making your family wise if you're doing this. But I got to stop for just a second and comment. Why does Paul assume fathers might possibly, possibly exasperate their children? I, I, I'm just, it, it, it reminds me of the book that our youngest daughter, Megan, gave me for Christmas a couple years ago. My dad thinks he's funny. I'm still mulling that one over. I'm not really sure what to make of the title of the book. What do you mean my dad thinks he's funny? All fathers are wickedly, hysterically funny. If you're an incredibly funny, witty father, would you just raise your hand so we could just see that? Okay, thank you. I, I think we have a, a quorum. Uh, and it's a unanimous vote. What's going on here? Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What, it's, a, it's a sly way of Paul saying, you don't want to exasperate your children because after all, just like you, you are being trained and instructed in how to walk with the Lord. Hey, you could help them. To, oh, wait, you're not being instructed and trained. Oh, there could be a problem there because if you don't know how to raise them to love and know the Lord, you're going to exasperate them. Why? Because dads are going to do everything for their own convenience. Hey, you're bugging me. Stop doing that. Start doing that. No, I'm too tired. I can't do that, you know. uh and so all the things that would exasperate a dad would be, man, I've been working all day uh, and doing this and that, and now I, you're asking me to do this. Uh, no. Versus saying, oh, my gosh, I have a chance to have some FaceTime with this kid. What are you thinking? What do you want to do? Oh, you want to throw the ball? Let's go throw the ball. And as we're throwing the ball, you say, hey, so what are you thinking about this? What do you think about that? Oh, you need to ride? Yeah, I'll drive you over there. Hmm. So all those things that give you proximity and access so we can see that the role of a child is to absorb what life is all about and the role of a mom and dad is to say let me f- provide you with content not just instructions or commands but a conversation again it's the enactment of that passage out of Deuteronomy it's that thing that, that, that the psalm was telling us about one generation to another is having this beneficial influence not in the form of a, a lecture a harangue and another thing that's wrong with you but rather, hey, isn't this great that this is what God is doing and how he does it? How are you experiencing that? And so these are the moments when at bedtime, you're not just getting one more glass of water or reading a story. All the questions come out with kids. Or, or as you grow up, there's more questions and more questions, and the conversation just continues. Instead of exasperating, saying, well, that's none of your business, so I don't want to talk about it or ask your mother, it's that, yeah, it's a great question. I, I don't quite know how to answer that question. That's a tough one. I still wrestle with that. And, and the older I get, the more I have ideas about that. But let's look at some things that the Bible says about that. All of a sudden now, there's this beautiful conversation. That's not, I'm going to lecture you. It's shoulder to shoulder. We're saying, let's inquire of the Lord. Does it feel religious? No. It feels inspired. It feels like a great conversation about stuff that matters. Because you've already earned the right to be heard by being present to that kid. So that's what it means, don't exasperate your children, by just dropping in and becoming a Disneyland dad for the moment. Let's go do this wild fun thing, and boom, you're out. Or dropping in and saying, hey, another thing wrong with you, and do this better, and do that right, and whack, you know, and, and no. It's just this ongoing relationship with credibility that allows you then to say at the right time, hey, what do you think about that? What does that mean to you? What do you think God was trying to tell us here? This is powerful, powerful parental influence. All parents give up control immediately, embrace influence immediately. You cannot control anybody and have it turn out well. All you can do is influence by being respectful or loving and drawing them out to say, what is it like being you? This is what, what is framing this whole idea of wisdom in families knowing that there's a God who loves us and cares for us even more than we do for each other as husband and wife, even more than we do as parents for our kids, even more than we do as kids toward our parents. So what's the big issue in here that makes this so challenging? Uh, This is the issue that is always overlooked in pretty much every article you will read. If you Google or take magazines or read books on anything to do with families, you'll never hear this addressed ever. And if you don't understand this, you'll never understand how to take advantage of all the great wisdom and advice about families. It's this sin destabilizes and derails our best intentions to be a family. Sin, this brokenness in our humanity, undermines our best intentions. <clears throat> I've done hundreds of weddings, I've done hundreds of baptisms of children. I've spent hundreds of hours talking with people, trying to put their marriages together. I've spent hundreds of hours, thousands of hours doing that, thousands of hours talking to kids going, why did I have such a screwed up family? Or I'm afraid of screwing up my family. It's because we start with this premise that we should be perfect. And if we're not perfect, there's something wrong with us, or wrong with our spouse, or wrong with our kids, or wrong with our parents. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, Bruce Baker, was here, and you know he has this amazing story, uh, Caltech, Stanford Business School, uh, St. Andrews University PhD, teaches business ethics. He presented an ethics paper recently to a national gathering of professors and universities of business ethics. And, and his case study was on Facebook and Google, uh, executives of, of those two places that he knows. And he's saying it's impossible for them to have an ethic, a coherent ethic. Why? Because they're ethics. They both say we want to get it right. We don't want to do evil. And yet they've just ticked off everybody. You, you, know, you're, you know you're in trouble when a trillion people hate you uh, because you've just compromised all their personal information and you've flipped it to use for your own uh, not benign purposes. And they've all said, no, no, that's our bad, you know, but we didn't mean to because we're idealistic. And, and, and Bruce's comment is simply this. Idealism is not the basis for an ethic. Uh, we have to, rec- without recognizing our sinfulness, our capacity for mischief, and, and not just mischief, but mayhem and bedlam and, and uh, depravity. We can game anything. Think of all the, the things that are laws and rules and regulations. You go, why do we have those? It's stupid. Yeah, because it's only t- touching on a few people, but they have to create a law that fits whole cloth and it affects everybody. There's not a billion people trying to get on planes and blow them up. There's a handful of people, but because there's that handful of people, we have to go through TSA. It's that kind of thing. Our government says bad people are out there, so we have to have this one-size-fits-all approach, unfortunately. Facebook and Google don't think that way. And Bruce Baker saying that's a big problem. People getting married and having families don't think that way. What they think is, my, my marriage is going to be awesome. And it should be. It could be. My kids are going to be wonderful. We're going to have a fantastic family. Awesome, fantastic. Don't think otherwise. Now, though, recognize your own fallibility, your own inherent weakness as a human being, your own super desire to get it right, and your inability to get it right. Don't beat yourself up over it and live in shame about it. Just say, wow, there's some disconnects in me to get in the way of the things I really want to do. If we don't start there, we missed all the opportunities to be wise in marriages and families. Every family is vulnerable and at risk. Why? Because nobody in the family is perfect. Everybody in the family is in desperate need of what only God can provide. Now, parents provide a lot of structure, necessary stuff, but if they don't recognize the core need for for this child or for themselves to be transformed by the living God, all they can do, the best they can do is rules that reinforce a code. They don't really change the heart or mind of a child. Uh, Back before car seats, there's a little kid sitting in the back seat and Mom is driving him, and and the kid keeps standing up on the seat. The mom says, sit down, sit down. And and finally, she she pulls over, and the kid sits down. So she continues driving, and pretty soon from the back of the car, there's a little voice goes, I might be sitting down, but in my head, I'm standing up. (laughs) You know, she could change his behavior, but she couldn't change his heart, the way he was saying things. Only God can do that. All of us need God. All of us need godly people and their influence. Why? For help and training in righteousness. They help us get it right. So my prayer was, Lord, help me understand how to be a husband. I also had to find some men to mentor me in that. No man becomes a man on his own. Nobody becomes a doctor on their own. Our um, young a little, um, my, my cousin's daughter and her husband are with us this weekend. And they're in their late 20s. And he's a physician at the at the Mayo Clinic, they're from Great Britain, they live in England, but they came here to work at the Mayo Clinic. I said, well, what, how many hours a week do you work? He goes, 80? 80? Like in one week? He goes, yeah, that's a typical week, 80 hours. Oh my gosh, why? I said, well, I already know the reason. Because they're trying to train you and being the best physician you could possibly be. He goes, yeah. So you are at the Mayo Clinic as one of the best hospitals in the world. You had to jump through all these hoops to get there. And you're trying to make the most of it by doing everything they want you to do. And you know they're on one hand taking advantage of you. But on the other hand, it's what you need to be on your game. Because exactly. It's training and righteousness. He didn't say, I aspire to be a doctor. I think I'll just be one. He had to go to medical school. And then he had to submit to this long process, four years as an ear, nose, and throat specialist Uh, just so he can say, I think I'm ready. Why wouldn't we need that to be husbands and fathers? Why wouldn't we need it to be, you know, wives and moms? Why do we think that it's, it's on us to get it right? And therefore, we bury ourselves in guilt and dread and shame. Or we just project it back on everybody. You're a horrible husband. You're a horrible wife. You're a horrible kid. So Paul writes to the Romans and says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's just the human condition. But here's the good news from Christ. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There's a solution, there's an antidote to our problem, and it applies to families. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Do you see where this is going? Instead of talking about, hey, five more great things you can do for your family this weekend, let's talk about your desperate need as a family so that you're ready to receive those things as helpful. Because you're building them on a firm foundation, aligned with the living God who wants you to thrive and succeed as a husband, a wife, father, mother, grandparent. So this is about our new identity in Christ. No one is born with it. Nobody is born with it. Nobody is born with the capacity to do this. Some of us are better naturally at doing it. Some people I know who say, I'm an atheist, I'm agnostic, are phenomenal people. But in their heart of hearts, they know they're still a day late and a dollar short. And they look back just like the rest of us and go, I wish I could have done it better. This is a radical reversal of the human disorder and disharmony caused by sin at work in our nature. And therefore, it's at work in our families. It's at work in our relationships, in our culture. Don't blame the government. As Solzhenitsyn said, one of the greatest Russian novelists of all time, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who spent eight years in the gulag, said... The pathway between good, the line between good and evil runs through the human heart, not through governments, not through other structures alone. They're reflected there. It runs through the human heart. So this is about a new identity in Christ, not just trying to be a perfect dad or perfect mom. Uh, Here's a a quick story. John observes this, uh, writing uh, writing, uh, as as a disciple of Jesus. He tells us about a Pharisee named Nicodemus. We won't talk about Pharisees, but he was a high-ranking religious guy, a very esteemed man in Jerusalem, very powerful presence. It says he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was a very big deal uh, in Jerusalem in his day. He was a godly man, a righteous man, a highly respected man. So he was the real deal. <clears throat> and, but, and he was such a real deal, he was saying, there's something about Jesus I've got to understand. But because it was really socially uh, possibly compromising to be seen with Jesus, he goes to see him at night. And he says to him, Rabbi, very respectfully, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So far, so good. So he's saying, very complimentary, there's something different about you, and I think it has to do with God. I'm intrigued. Jesus answers him this way, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What is he talking about? Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He's speaking to the assumptions in Nicodemus' life, what Nicodemus assumes life is about. Well, for him, it's assuming I keep the Ten Commandments, I keep the Torah, I keep the law. Uh, I'm I'm gracious to the oppressed. I'm kind to the people who are poor. I'm respectful to my wife, my kids, uh, and that's what I do. I live up to the expectations of my community, my culture and to the best of my ability, my God. He doesn't recognize that Jesus is the disruptive influence that God has been promising, starting with Abram. I am going to bless you, Abram, to bless all nations. And as as Israel embraced that, they didn't understand just how disruptive that would be. Uh, There's a great Latin phrase uh, that describes it, extra nos, outside of us. It comes from outside of us. It happens within us. The transforming work of God in Christ happens within us, but it comes from outside of us. So Jesus came to show us how to see God at work, and what are the implications of this? So Nicodemus is trying to process this. He says, how can someone be born when they're old? If it didn't work right the first time, how am I going to get it right now? It's impossible. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Is he being annoyed here, being funny? We don't know. We can't hear the tone Is he being smart-alecky or going, look, come on, seriously? Uh, Is he intrigued? Is he curious? Uh, Is he being cautious? How about you? When you hear this, you've got to be born again. Do you dismiss it as, oh, my gosh, one of those trite phrases? I've had more conversations with people who say, this whole Jesus thing is making so much sense to me, uh, but I'm afraid that I might become uh, like a born again. I'll say, well, what do you mean? Well, you know how those born-agains are. Well, no, tell me about the born agains you know, they're just kind of annoying and they're a voting block and, you know, they're just, you know, they voted for Trump or whatever. I mean, they'll, you know, go, I think you're maybe misunderstanding with this term born again. No, I remember Jimmy Carter said it and, you know, uh, go, what? Well, I don't get this. They've, they've somehow categorized it as being some wacky thing. And I'm saying there is only one kind of follower of Jesus. It's called a born again follower of Jesus. Uh, there's only one kind of born kid. It's, they're born. Caesarean, natural birth, there's a birth process. You know, I, I want to come into the world. I just don't want to do that whole birth thing. It doesn't work. Uh, this is disruptive information for Nicodemus. Um, Jesus then says, very truly, I tell you, and it may be stifling a laugh at this point. I don't think so. I'm mean, saying, hey, no, no, no. not Bear with me, Nicodemus. Think about this. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. Water stands for the ritual washing. But the spirit is about the transformation that God alone can accomplish in a person's heart. And so he says, you know, flesh gives birth to flesh. Families give birth to families. Another normal birth. You know, somebody comes out and it looks like mom and dad, or if they're adopted, they, you know, they're predictably going to be like a, a, a kid in all the ages and stages. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised, Nicodemus, at my saying, you must be born again. This doesn't have to fit some uh, conversion trope, you know, I did this, now I did that. It doesn't have to be a big dramatic thing. It's just this notion that I realize that though I'm born physically, I need the Spirit of God to transform me. I was made to be in relationship with him. I bear his image, but, but this, the reality of sin affects me, and that bugs me because I'm trying to get it right. Nobody goofs off and, and jokes about being a sinner. You know, when you hear, hear somebody say, oh, yeah, well, I don't mind going to hell. All my friends will be there. <laughs> you go, well, if, if hell is what it is, it's not going to be a fun hangout. You're not going to be happy to see your friends. They're not going to be happy seeing you. And so the point isn't about, you know, diminishing the impact of sin. What, what that means is somebody says, I am so far gone, there's no hope for me. There's no help for me. I'm beyond the pale. What what Jesus is saying, this is for everybody. Nobody is born uh, into nobody's born like this, but you can be born into this. Our assumptions and expectations need to be brought into alignment with God's purposes, so what this is about. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it goes on from there. Paul writes and says, Hey, the, the, the coda to this, what follows this, is that Jesus makes this possible. So, what's the the wisdom for families in this? We can learn to live in the Spirit of God, who is transforming our corrupted human natures by the atoning work of Jesus as we pay attention to Him. Why? Because we're new creations in Christ. He's given us His Word. He's given us godly people. He's called us into a family. We're a family of families. If you're here and you don't know anybody, you're actually part of a family, a family of faith. It's not too early or too late to start walking with Jesus into this family. Let me, let me put it this way. <clears throat> if you're a person sitting here today saying, I've done horrible things to my family. I've, I've abused my wife. I've abused my kids. I'm so fearful of facing them. I have to d- deny it and avoid it. Uh, I can't even talk to my friends about it. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated with myself, but I can't change. Uh, and, and so this doesn't really work for me. It works for you. It starts this way. You confess your need for what God alone can do. You turn to some of those people in a life group if you're in one or seek out somebody you trust and say, I like, am wrestling with this issue. I've tried to change. I can't change. I feel bad. My family feels bad. I know it's going to not go well. I'm stuck. And I've failed God I've failed my family. A wise person will say, to the degree that you've failed, it's not for your lack of desire to get it right. Your only failure here is not allowing the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. He, only the Lord can change your heart. Help you to have a, a, a love and a discipline that would help your kids not exasperate them. A love and a partnership that would invite your wife to, to walk with you and trust you, not to fear you. And, and take that analogy of a marriage and apply it to any other part of your life. Stop living in fear and shame, thinking that if I just keep everybody away, I can change it somehow. You cannot change it. It will not change. It's your sin nature. Jesus can change your sin nature. And how does he do it? First, he, you confess your sin. He, can, he forgives you and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Then what you do to be trained in righteousness, you see a counselor. Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Oh, yeah. Etros suche. That's a Greek phrase. It means doctor of the soul. We call it psychiatrist. Backwards. A psychologist, a person who says, I'm going to help you work through the patterns that set you up to be the idiot you feel like you are. And part of the process is that you discover you're not an idiot, you're a beloved child of God. And you're you're acting out of things that you haven't taken time to look at and own and let go of. God is using this to deliver you. This is what it means to be trained in righteousness. You're born again, but training in righteousness is gonna deliver you from that. And guess what? It'll benefit and bless you and your kids and your wife, everybody else you know. That's why I tell every family that's on the brink of walking away, Commit yourself to this process. It's the greatest legacy you'll leave your children. Them watching how you deal with something that is so deadly and devastating, and they'll say for the rest of their lives, I watched the most amazing thing. My mom and dad were transformed. Otherwise, all they will see is the typical pattern that every family replicates. Deal with it as best you can and get out of there as soon as you can. And then on then your own terms, try to get it right as you go forward. It will not happen. An angry young man leaving home doesn't become a wonderfully filled with love, gentle, kind young man going down the road. Something has to disrupt that, and the, disruption that, the only disruption that works is the presence of God in your life. He welcomes it. He invites it. He brings people around you saying, "I just let me be this for you. Families matter. Families are resilient. Families need resources. The primary resource we need as a family is the presence of God in it we get to experience the glory of God, the beauty of God in that moment. What does your family need right now? What does your family need right now? To continue doing what you're doing and you're saying, thank God, I feel like the guy who wrote Psalm 145. You know what, our family needs to actually draw on the theology that we believe and go through a healing process. Uh, Actually, I need to feel like, I feel like though I'm born again, I now need to be willing to let God use people in my life to help me do some things I've been trying so hard to do on my own. The Bible is the most primary foundational text we have, but there's other books that, that you need to read as part of this process of training in righteousness. This is the wisdom in families. So, Lord Jesus, this is our prayer, that we would be able to embrace you, and embracing you, in embracing you primarily, we find a whole world of possibilities opening up to us, resources we didn't know existed, new ways to behave, new ways to process how we feel or new ways to actually start to feel. Lord, you have called us together to be a community that is so vibrant and alive that we break out of all the self-imposed barriers that hold us back from being the families, the couples, the people, the men and women that you are creating us and transforming us to be. So we pray for a revolution in this congregation, a revolution in the families and the marriages in this congregation, a revolution among people of every age and stage, single or married, that we would be so alive in you, and that would be so apparent, that we would be a community of hope, not only for one another, but for all who, who uh, come into our presence. We pray this in Jesus' name, even as we continue to worship you as the offering of the morning is now received. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we're going to receive the offering of the morning, and let's just continue worshiping the Lord together.
2: Father, one with the Spirit, one with the Son of God, one with our sister, one with our brother, one family by the blood, make us one, make us one.
1: We've been afraid. We repent of all our pride. Let all the hurt be washed
2: away. For all the wars and violence against our enemies, come heal our land with your great river. Restore the family. We confess all our offenses. We confess we've been afraid. We repent of all our pride. Let all the hurt. Away for all the wars and violence against our enemies. Come heal our land with your green river. Restore
4: This is the one who loves you, uh, the one who broke the chains, the one who sets you free, the one who calls you into the light of his love, the one who promises to fill you with his spirit, to guide you with his word, to surround you with people who will love you and accept you and cheer you on as you learn to walk with him in newness and fullness of life. It takes a lifetime, but it begins in a moment. The birth is just the beginning. It's the fullest development of a person in Christ that we're all about. We love to celebrate the birth, but we love to see people leaning into that long, hard, but absolutely deeply satisfying process of growing up in Christ. Wherever you are in that journey, let us gather with you, figuratively or literally, to cheer you on, to pray with you. If before you leave here today, go around the corner and you you can have somebody pray with you about whatever concerns you have about your own life and situation or others. In any case, don't remain alone, though it's easy and tempting to do that. Come into the community. Let us be a family for you. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord, who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine, give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.